Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Athletic Baseball Show for Thursday, July 13th. This is Stephen Nesbitt filling in for DVR, who spent his week moving across the country. And I'm joined by Keith Law, who has spent his week writing thousands and thousands and perhaps tens of thousands of words about the MLB draft. Keith, how are you doing? Uh, 20,000 plus words. And I Ooh. flew across the country. Does that count? That very for much partial counts. Partial credit? Okay, cool. That very much counts. Um, on today's show, we're going to go deep on the MLB draft and uh, touch on a few takeaways from the Futures game. Uh, so let's let's jump right in, Keith. The the top five um, of the draft were the top five. Uh, they were the ones that were expected. No surprises. Nobody cut a an underslot deal. Um, so you go Pirates getting Paul Skeens, Nationals Dylan Cruz, Tigers Max Clark, the first high schooler off the board. The Rangers, White Lankford, and Twins, Walker Jenkins, before the A's go and do an A's thing and, and get Jacob Wilson. Um, so I, first off, I implore, <laughs> I implore you, the listener, to uh, go read all of Keith's stuff. There's so much uh, so much there, so much good content. If we don't talk about your team here, he talked about them there. Um, so read all that on, on The Athletic. So top five going um, sort of, I guess, not chalk necessarily, because they could have gone in any order based on what the Pirates decided to do. Um, what did you make of the way the top five shook out? Yeah, so it was three, one, two, no, three, one, four, two, five going on my board. I mean, that's chalk. That's chalk enough for me. I said all spring was kind of the eye of the beholder with these guys, where, you know, just sort of which do you want high school or college? Do you want the one pitcher who's in the mix? Do you want a little more upside with maybe Langford or even Jenkins in the long term? Or do you want the absolute you know, high probability offered by someone like Cruz, but they're all great. They were all great players. They were all guys who could go first overall in the typical draft. I mean, my one big observation here is a little surprised that the Pirates picking first overall, which they did two years ago, A, took the pitcher, who's just higher risk. He just is, right? Yeah. Even even before we talk about the fact that he throws 100, sits 100 as a starter, like pitchers just, they get hurt. The good ones get hurt. You know, uh, even when they don't throw super hard, even when it's not high effort, I don't think Skeens is a high effort delivery, but he throws harder than any starter I think we've ever seen, certainly for his age. So there's risk there. And based on the rest of the draft, I don't think they did the thing they did two years ago where they shaved and then went over um, with multiple later picks, Bubba Chandler, Anthony Salamedo, Lonnie White. Doesn't look like they did that this year, um, which if I was going to not take, you know, I had Skeens third. So if I was going to say I'm taking the third best player, obviously they might think Skeens is the best player. But just from my perspective, yeah. they didn't take the best player or the second best one, but also didn't use any savings to go over slot. And so 
that left me feeling a little meh, not bad about their draft. I don't think they had a bad draft by any stretch of the imagination, but I look at the rest of what they did and I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm not blown away by what they did. I think they had a better opportunity and they yeah. didn't capitalize. Right. And talking to people in and around that organization this week, it, um, it seemed like they, well, first off, they brought, I think, a lot of options to the table in, into the last week. They, they considered a, a couple different guys and could have mm-hmm. gone. A, one factor, I think, was because their next pick wasn't until 42 and a couple of teams drafted multiple times between there. I think there mm-hmm. was some concern they weren't going to get the person they wanted at 42. And so if you go mm-hmm. under slot at number one, then uh, you may have made a, a, a big mistake there. Um, but the deal with the, the Pirates is just that is a caliber of, pitcher that is not available to them in any other way um yeah. unless you develop fully develop that person and so uh skeins is an arm they'll never sign in for agency it would never uh never work for them and so uh that was their shot i i thought they would have gone one of the college outfielders the whole time i thought langford if they wanted to cut a deal or or Cruz because that's your it's your best uh, hitter available so um it made for an interesting rest of the draft to touch quickly on it for them because they go the michigan state shortstop mitch jeb after that uh, Xander Muth, high school pitcher, Garrett Forrester. It was it was not a really um, overwhelming haul considering the advantage that the number one team has. They took one high schooler, right? I don't know if they took, did they grab somebody late? They grabbed a, um, one guy in the 17th round, I assume, and a Puerto Rican high school player in the 15th round. But in the top 10 rounds, they took one high school player. It was Xander Muth, who for all the world looks like a reliever to me. And I do not like that class of player high school pitchers who strongly project to be relievers go to college i'm not i'm very much not interested it's it's a low arm slot he gets compared constantly to tanner hauck who's never been able to get lefties out in the big leagues and i don't see why xander muth is going to be any different and if you want to take that guy out of college great all day long but to take that guy out of high school and maybe overpay him over slot at least that's your one big investment after the first pick i kind of don't see it and i like jeb no upside very steady, kind of know what you're getting. Forrester, not on my top 100. Patrick Riley, kind of famous in high school, nowhere close to the top 100. I mean, it's, it's just not, it's not a wow, right? Skeens really has to be what he could, where he has to kind of hit his ceiling for the Pirates to walk out of this and say, we did it. We nailed yep. it. And maybe that happens. Maybe he becomes your number one starter, like you were talking about, the kind of guy they can never get in free agency. And then no one's going to even think about what else they did in the draft if he becomes that guy, especially if he becomes it soon. Because I do think, I mean, if I were in Ben Charrington's shoes, I'm thinking Skeens maybe pitches in fall league this year. He starts next year in double A Altoona. And the idea is get him to the big leagues quick because he's not going to, you're not waiting for anything. So you're not waiting for him to throw harder, certainly. And you have to just assume the clock is at least a little bit ticking on him. Right. Yeah. Well, the guy with that skill set and that velocity, you're always going to be worried about injury and with any pitcher coming through the system. And yeah, he's a guy I think will move pretty quickly. Certainly isn't going to be a <clears throat> not an opening day guy. I wouldn't expect uh, for, for multiple service time reasons, but uh, a guy I think we'll, we'll definitely see in Pittsburgh next summer. Um, so that, that will be um, obviously someone to watch going through the system, but I think it left an interesting situation for the nationals at two, because they, I think sort of expected that Skeens was going to was going to be there and it's an easy decision for them to make. And they sort of end up having to air quotes settle for Dylan Cruz, the best player in the draft right. at number two and pretty <laughs> fortuitous, right? 
Yeah, because everyone said all spring they wanted skeins or for most of the spring. I mean, it's the most Mike Rizzo pick of of Mike Rizzo picks, right? A giant college starter, uh, especially in a major program who throws super hard. Like, how could he not? Right? Why? Why have a draft room? Why just right? J- you're just gonna obviously you're gonna take that guy. Um, and when he was gone, they took the next best guy and the you know uh, number one on my board, most famous player in the draft, I think. You know, I guess it's him or Skeen, certainly, but Cruz is Cruz has the long track record too. I, I've said this many times in many places, but like I first saw Dylan Cruz as a high school junior and he was already kind of a guy back then. At least, hey, keep an eye on this guy. He's gonna be a first rounder next year. And then COVID hit and the world changed because LSU and all he does is rake for three years in the SEC. You cannot be upset with that pick if you're a Nationals fan. And I will say they did. What they did was was pretty interesting where they uh, they didn't have any extra picks, but with the first pick of day two, sort of knowing they'd get whoever they wanted, they targeted a huge, hard-throwing high school pitcher from Texas, Travis Sakura, who I know a lot of folks thought was first-round caliber. And it looks like they're basically just going to push any extra pool money they had into him. So they're, they're, they kind of bet very heavily on two guys in this draft class. Um, going for upside and figuring, you know, maybe we got two or even three, if you consider the second round or first round ish type players. Yeah. Like, I, and I get that, that, that I, I like that. I like that philosophy. And I think it's served Rizzo and company well, many times over the years, just saying we need first round caliber guys, right? Go get the best prospects you can. Hey, if you got a punt, you know, round six through 10, they took a bunch of <laughs> fifth year seniors, right? right. Those are like thousand dollar guys. It's the happy to be here crowd. You always hope one of them gets to double A and, and does well enough that you're glad you took him. But it's pretty clear where all the money's going here. And and I like that. Like, I I get it. Maybe I wouldn't have taken exactly that bucket basket of players, but I like the strategy. Yeah. Yeah. They end up uh, Dylan Cruz, Yoandi Morales, third baseman mm-hmm. out of uh, Miami and Travis Secor, like you mentioned in the third round. It's a pretty nice uh Pretty nice top couple picks. And and yeah, front-loading it, especially in this draft, may not be the worst idea uh, with the type of first-round talent that was going to be available a little bit lower in the draft. So, okay, the the Oakland A's, this was telegraphed, forecasted. This was, uh, you know, you saw this coming. They were going to make a decision that wasn't necessarily the consensus uh, number six pick there at number six. Mm-hmm. Uh, they take Jacob Wilson. We've, we've discussed this guy on the show. Uh, he's got an incredible hit tool. He struck out, mm-hmm. what was it, 12 times? Um, in two years. In two seasons. Yeah. So, so it's going to work. I would imagine he, this is, this is a pretty, um, I mean, pretty easy bet for to be a big leaguer. I just don't know how, how much of an impact big leaguer he's going to be. Oh, he is a big leaguer. Uh, it's funny. I was talking to a scout just before the draft to a guy who, who likes Wilson quite a bit more than I did. He said, that guy is a big leaguer. And as in, you know you are getting a major league player. The probability of Jacob Wilson not getting to the big leagues, barring you know injury or he retires to join the priesthood or something, is pretty close to zero. He's about as sure a big leaguer as there was outside of the Cruz group, the Cruz Skeens group. Um, so, and I I understand that, but today's game, you need to hit the ball at least a little bit hard, a little bit of the time, and Jacob Wilson does not do that. And he hits the ball on the ground, on the ground, into the ground all the time. I had somebody the other day, another front office person, basically saying that, like, it's great that he hits everything. He just hits it all into the ground. So what have you really got there? And if you're taking that guy at 22, great. At 22, 
the probability of getting a big leaguer has already started to drop. And the higher ceiling guys come with a lot higher risk down there. They picked sixth. Now, granted, they picked sixth in a five-player draft, and okay, woe is them. There were plenty of good college players still on the board. Matt Shaw, Kyle Teal, who they had been linked to, Rhett Lauder, who went one pick behind, Tommy Troy. They had lots of other options. And and I liked some of their picks, second, third, fourth round. I think they did pretty well. But that to take that guy at six, I just, I don't get it. You're the A's. And for the short term, at least, it's like what you were saying about the Pirates getting a Paul Skeens type. The A's could go get a Jacob Wilson type somewhere, free agency, trade, whatever. But they passed on some guys of the caliber that they're not going to be able to go get otherwise, certainly not in free agency. And I, I frankly, their their trades haven't worked out great the last couple of years. So they 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 missed an opportunity here, and that's disappointing. I mentioned the uh, Pirates didn't have their second pick until 42. Uh, the Reds had three picks in the top 43, and mm-hmm. I think they hit it hit a home run. Um, I yeah, love, love the pick they made at seven uh, mm-hmm. with Rhett Lauder out of Wake Forest at 38. They took Ty Floyd, who we saw in the College World Series, uh, right-hander out of LSU. And then at 43, they got Sammy Stafura, the high school uh, shortstop. And I think all three could have been first-round picks. I totally agree. In fact, for a, and maybe in my last mock, I had all three going in the first round. I mean, Floyd was getting rumored. There were teams in the 20s saying, we don't think Floyd gets to us. Uh so I don't know what changed necessarily. There was a lot of talk that Floyd and whoever his advisor was, I actually don't know who it is offhand, were trying to find a better deal somewhere up and maybe yeah. that sort of manipulated things. There's a lot of that stuff, especially in the 24 hours leading up to the draft. No knock on Floyd at all. Um, get the best deal you can. But I love, like, there's a pretty clear philosophy here. And I just love the Reds drafts. Three years out of four, I come out really liking their drafts. And I like the fact that they keep drafting Towards ten, towards round ten, they love to just say, "Hey, yeah, it's the seventh round, it's the sixth round. So what? There's good players. They took a good college junior, Ethan O'Donnell, a center fielder from UVA, who can definitely play center and hit a little bit without power. That's a good sixth round pick. But I love what it, what it really looks like at the top of the draft. You mentioned two really good college pitchers. They took another one in the third round, Hunter Holland, who had a minor knee injury and tried to pitch through it, but he lost." probably about three miles an hour off his fastball in the process and then had a cleanup as soon as Arkansas season was done. Would not be surprised at all to see him throwing quite a bit harder next spring. So you take three pretty good college starters with three of your first four picks. And you mentioned Stephora, a high school shortstop, who definitely stays there. He's a 70 runner. He's got feel to hit. There's a little stuff you want to do with the swing, but if he's maybe a leadoff on base guy who can really run and definitely stays at short, that's a hell of a front four, even before considering some of the players they took after that who are who I thought were at least good value for where they selected them. Rounding out the the top 10 here, uh, just a couple more guys. Blake Mitchell to the Royals, Chase Dollander to the Rockies, and Noble Meyer to the Marlins. The Mitchell is this this is just cutting a deal uh with a with a high schooler they can they can do something with later. It, it had to be possible. the biggest surprise of the first top 10. It was I think the biggest delta between maybe where I'd rank somebody and where he got taken, we'd, we, we'd all heard. I definitely had had Mitchell. I was on radio, the radio with Soren Petro in Kansas City, and he said I was the first person to say the Royals were on Mitchell, but I was I can promise you I was not the only one. Um, and it seemed like they were on catchers. Him and Kyle Teal, those were the two names that came up with the, mo- with the Royals the most. The thing is, I look at the rest of the draft, and I'm not sure – 
<laughs> what they where did the money it? goes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Usually you can peek at a draft. I mean, you've you've looked at this on for, for a few years now. You you get it, right? You can look and say, that guy's probably over slot, that guy's not. And I'm looking, I pulled theirs up. You know, Blake Walters will probably get a little over slot in the second round, but then they took a way under slot guy, I think, with the outfielder they took with their comp B pick. Um, Hero Wyatt was their first pick of day two in the third round. He's probably a bit of an overslot guy. And I wonder if Hunter Owen coming out of Vanderbilt, if yeah. there's any, because he was supposed to be, we've talked about him. I think you and I have talked about him at one point where, you know, he could have been a first round if he'd just been healthy all spring. So does he get more than fourth round money yeah, to get him out of Vanderbilt and say, don't go back for, for a, a, a fourth year, maybe, but that's a whole lot of, I don't know, right? We're discussing this. You would like to say, yeah, okay, well, they went under with Blake Mitchell. The year they did it with Hunter Dozier. And then the turnaround, we didn't even get to the second round. They took Sean Manaya. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, I get it. I totally get it. I know what you're doing. Great. Love getting that combination of players. Awesome. Um, year they took Frank Mazzucato, which was a fall out of your seat kind of moment of sitting next to JJ Cooper. And he turned to me, of JJ of Baseball America, and he turned to me and said, it's Mazzucato. And I, Definitely used a word I won't repeat on this podcast, but it was the equivalent of, are you kidding me? <laughs> um, and But then they turned around and they took a couple over slot guys afterwards. And I thought, whether that works out or not, they spent the money well. Uh, I don't know here. right? If, if Mitchell comes in under slot, I'll be very curious to see where that money gets spread around. And if he comes in at slot, yeah, I would... I, Mitchell is not a bad prospect. I sort of ended up in this conversation with Soren yesterday where it's like, I'm not digging on the kid, right? This is nothing against him. He's a good prospect. He's not eighth in the draft. Good. Right. And there's nothing, there's no insult in saying a guy's 20th or 25th in a draft class. That's still very good. And it gets you $2 million, but there's a difference between being there and being eighth. And it's never a kid's fault if he gets drafted higher than we, you know, any of us think he should, but it does sort of it. That was one when they did that, my first thought was who are they spending the savings on? And then the draft, as the rest of the draft came out, I had what we're just saying. I I don't know. I'm not sure if I can make that math add up. And I'll be curious to see where all those dollars come in in the next two weeks. Right. If you're desperate for a catcher, Kyle Teal was available. Uh, He goes at 14 to the Red Sox. And that's a guy much closer, much closer to the big leagues. So We'll get to him in just just one second, but as we round out the top ten here, uh, Noble Meyer was kind of part of a one-two punch for the Marlins. Like you wrote, they have a type. They end up with uh, with Noble Meyer, uh, best high school arm in the draft, and then um, Thomas White, lefty out of uh, Phillips Academy, Phillips Academy, Andover, uh, just about thirty minutes from my house here. Uh, big oh, yeah. big kid, uh, big lefty who um, is a Vandy commit and. Uh, was going to need a lot of money, I'm sure, to sign. So, what did you make of what the Marlins did at the top of that uh, top of that uh, uh, end of the first top ten? I don't know if you ever got over to to see Thomas White too, but it's like it, I and I didn't see him this spring because he pitched on Saturdays almost all spring. So I was generally out seeing college guys almost every weekend. Um, but like, that he looks, it's bigger than a college guy. He throws really uh, bigger than a typical high school guy. He throws very hard. There's good secondary stuff. I had people questioning the delivery, but there's to me. He was pretty clearly the best high school lefty in the draft. Noble Meyer was pretty clearly the best high school righty in the draft. I wouldn't draft this way. Just I've written and and I'm like a broken <laughs> record on this, right? With high school pitchers in the first round are a bad 
risk. You are absolute base rate neglect. For those of you who've read my book or read Thinking Fast and Slow or any of the dozens of books talking about this stuff, they are ignoring the high, higher failure rate of high school pitchers, particularly those taken in the first round. Um, that said, they took the two best in the category. Okay, sure. You know what? If the whole industry is going one way and you say, we can walk out of here with the best high school right and the best high school lefty. Okay. But, but that's not a bad outcome, right? There, there are worse ways to do this. You could do this and take two guys who just weren't that good. They didn't do that. They, they took two pretty good ones. And, uh, I, you know, again, nothing against these kids. I'm certainly not rooting for anything to go wrong. I'm just recognizing the history of the draft and saying that, you know, that these guys fail. The attrition rate is just that much higher. They fail to reach the majors at a higher rate. They fail to succeed at a higher rate. And especially, again, when you pick 10th, like I was saying about picking 6th or 8th, all these guys, it's who you left on the board. There are years where you do that, and that's fine. But this was a year where there were lots of good players left on the board. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Remind me, do you do a mid-season re-rank of your top 100 prospects? Uh, I do. Thank you for asking. Um, Roughly? And that will be Go that ahead. will be running uh, later this month, I believe. So I will be... Um, uh, and it's going to change a lot from this offseason, for sure. Yeah. Roughly, not to make you make your picks right now, but those, those top three college guys in the top five, Skeens... Cruz, Langford, like roughly where do you see them landing in the top 100 at this point? My guess, and I've only just barely started to sketch any of this out, but my guess is you will see of the top five, they'll probably be all in the top 30 or so. I tend to run pretty conservative on those guys because they haven't started in pro ball and because we see plenty of examples where um, – we see plenty of examples of guys where they struggle, you know, unexpectedly the moment that they get into the big leagues. Uh, sorry, that they get into the minor leagues where like Elijah Green, he was top 10, I think, on everybody's board. And he's got over 100 strikeouts already in his first season in pro ball. And that's a guy who's really killed by the absence of short season baseballs where he belongs. Um, but yeah, there's there's a, a, enough variance with those guys that I try to just be conservative on the first list, let them get out and play. And then I could be a little more aggressive in ranking them once we've got even just a tiny bit of data with the wood bat against better competition. There are a couple of their first rounders I want to touch on, but let me open it with this question. What What's a team outside the top 10, so after Meyer, that you feel like really nailed the overall package? So maybe has a lower a lower pot of money to hand out, but ended up uh, doing something pretty good with with, with uh, the, 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 the picks and money they did have. That's a great question because um, the Reds has been my stock answer the last two days for who did I think did the best. 
out of anyone. I liked what the Mets did. The Mets didn't have a proper first round pick, and I thought they did exceptionally well. It was really, and they did so by going largely through the college ranks. But their first pick was a high schooler, Colin Houck, who I think for much of the spring, folks thought he was going to go in the top 15. I certainly did. And then I wrote, I think the day before the draft, hey, it seems like Colin Houck is sliding. I didn't think he was going to slide to 32, yeah. certainly. Um, I'm going to assume that's over a slot. It was great, too. That I, I don't know, I'm assuming you caught this, but they drafted Brandon Sprout again, the guy yeah. they drafted last <laughs> year in the third round who didn't sign. And I didn't even know if he'd sign the consent to reselect. Without that, they wouldn't even be able to take him. But they turned around, took him again. It's like, well, you're going to freaking sign with us. So, I mean, he's a senior now. He really doesn't have a whole lot of choice. Um they took Nolan McLean, who didn't sign last year with the Orioles, but I think they listed him as a two-way player, but I he's a pitcher. I mean, he strikes out way too much to be anything more. Um, maybe maybe he's like the occasional bat off the bench, and he, he just swing really hard and see if he – because he can hit a ball 500 feet pretty easily. But as, as a reliever, he can move fairly quickly. Cade Morris was a college starter from Nevada, who I just really liked as a, kind of a, a sleeper right in that range. AJ Ewing's a high school hitter. I particularly like Like that's a pretty good package. They took some college relievers or reliever types who are really interesting for not having a first round pick. That was really good. You know, yeah. versus the Dodgers, the other team didn't have a first round pick where I hate to say it was bad, um, especially because they're the Dodgers, but it's like, the heck is going on here. I don't recognize, like, I don't recognize the Dodgers. This is like the Dirgers or something drafted <laughs> instead. I was going to ask that um, next one is any clarity on what the Dodgers were doing? Like, have you figured out in the few days since what, what their plan was? No, no. The, the info I've gotten has actually been worse since the draft, right? I can't, you know, people don't like Kendall George. Um, he can, I mean, he's an 80 runner. I get that center field. Um, he's small. He doesn't hit the ball hard. There are hit tool questions right now. Um, Jake Geloff, second rounder. I liked appropriate for the pick, actually probably good value for the pick, but, but a guy with a flaw. I mean, you can throw 95 in the upper third of the zone and he does not hit it. And he, he offers at it a lot. And there's, there's, that is a big thing to try to overcome. I just think the upside, if he does overcome it, is pretty good. Brady Smith, high school pitcher whose velocity went down as the season went on. Eric Swan, um, at middle Tennessee state was one of their extra picks between the fourth and fifth rounds. And, uh, the comment I got, I'm going to have to paraphrase slightly, but he's up to a hundred. Um, he walks everybody, but the comment I got was, you know, guy says, I, I went to see him and the bat boy for the other team was looking to get into the on deck circle because for 98 hitters could see it and they were hitting it. And that's a little scary. If you said they wanted to take a guy who throws real hard, it's power stuff. He doesn't throw strikes. They did that with Nick Nostrini a couple of years ago out of UCLA and he's turned into a prospect. They've improved his command and control, at least to the point where you can see a big league reliever. Um, but the fastball played. In Swan's case, the fastball not playing is definitely a concern. So there are individual players I like in here. I, I like Gelloff for what he is. Wyatt Crowell, when he comes off Tommy John, after he was really badly overused at Florida State, he's pretty interesting. Joe Vitrano, the fifth rounder out of BC, college first baseman. But I like the swing. He's got a chance. But just as a whole... I, the Dodgers seem to have decided the new market inefficiency is pitchers who can't throw strikes. Yeah. And I'm kind of having a hard time with that one because I think <laughs> the strike zone still exists. <laughs> that is still actually a part of the game. And four balls puts the guy on first. That may have changed overnight. I've been traveling a bit. So let me know if I'm out of date on that. No, I think that's I think that's right on. There was a pack of college players uh, taking, let's see, 12 through 14. Nope, 15. Mm-hmm. That I think there's going to be a real star coming out of here. 
and I'm gonna I'm gonna mm-hmm. let you pick it because a couple of these guys. I, you say, had... anyway, you, I want to know who yours did, is. There one you looked at and said, "I really like this guy." You had a couple of these guys in the in your top ten. I think Matt Shaw, yeah. Kyle Till, both. Uh, but oh, for the listener, it went Tommy Troy to the Diamondbacks out of Stanford. Um, shortstop mm-hmm. uh, Matt Shaw, shortstop goes to um, from Maryland to the Cubs. Kyle Teal, catcher for the UVA to the Red Sox, and Jacob Gonzalez, um, Ole Miss shortstop to the White Sox. If I had to pick one, I think I'm going Teal. I just think that's an organization mm-hmm. that needs <clears throat> that needs more uh, catching depth uh, or really a star a star catcher. And I think Teal, what he, what he did with the bat in college was pretty exceptional. And if he can keep that up, um, I, I think that he really has the potential. Uh, if you know, so long as he sticks behind the plate and all that, to be a really impact catcher, and that's an organization that needs one. Um, that's a good pick. Um, I actually think Teal, Teal to me is maybe the safest of the group. Like he is definitely yeah. a catcher. He makes a lot of contact. It's pretty good contact. It's not elite contact, but for a catcher, you've just got to hit, right? That's the number one thing. Um, and he, he's got little issues. Like a couple of people pointed out to me leading up to the draft. Hey, this guy doesn't hit lefties. Well, he hits them. He just doesn't hit them. Well, okay, sure. Those are things you can work on. And that is one thing that, you know, if, if you show, you can make some contact, there are definitely things the Red Sox can do with him to try to improve that. Um, the guy I think's got the best chance to be a star in the group is Shaw. I had him ranked the highest yeah. out of everybody. Um, and so, because I, I think he can really, really hit and that it's in his batted ball data, the exit velocities, hard hit rate, barrel rate, et cetera, were all among the best outside of the Cruz Langford duo in the entire first round. And I just think you get Shaw off shortstop, put him at second base and let him go. Um, I think he's got a chance to be a real star. I think that's a great pick for the Cubs. Um, I liked a lot of those picks. I liked the Troy pick. I liked Shaw. I liked Teal. And I liked Enrique Bradfield Jr. went 17th. Between 11 and I got to scroll down here, don't I? At least in 17, because I think it kept going. The teens were almost all. Yeah, Brock Wilkins, Braden Taylor. Yeah, Braden, Braden Taylor, guys I liked for where they were picked, right? So what do we have? Between 11 and 19, we have one high school player. Yeah, that's right which is very interesting and I think really speaks to what everyone, so all of us who cover the draft, we're seeing the same thing all spring. This is a really good college position player draft, Um, you know, probably in large part the result of the COVID year. Um, But yeah, that's pretty, it was pretty fantastic run. And if you were team drafting there this year, you had to be ecstatic. The 14th pick in a typical year does not get you you know, the best college catcher in the draft class and a pretty good prospect in his own right. That's a pretty good outcome. Yeah. And we didn't see a a pitcher. We had Chase Dollander at eight, not nine, Noble Meyer at at, uh, 10. And then we not another pitcher Mm -hmm. until Hurston Waldrop at 24. So uh, I just think there's a ton of value there in the middle of the draft and and teams saw that, saw that too. Um, uh, I had a question on, um, oh, the the one high schooler in that mix there was uh, Bryce Eldridge, a two way player. They're saying um, for the Giants. Yeah. Giants are are falling in love with this model now. Huge kid, six seven high schooler. <laughs> um, what what do you make of that pick? Where does where does he end up? Uh, most likely scenario. So I'm in the camp that I have him as a hitter and just a hitter. Like, I don't think he's a two-way player. I've seen a couple things. I think the Washington Post even referred to him as the American Otani. And I was oh, like, shut the front door. Like, really? I can't, I would swear if this was my own podcast, I'd probably be swearing here. Like (laughs) that is ridiculous. And you are not, you're not talking to the right people. If you're saying that, that is the big 
problem I have with that. I do not expect the layperson to read something about Bryce Eldridge and immediately say, this guy's not a pitcher, right? But there are a few hundred people out there who are people, and I'm not saying me, like a scout, an executive, a scouting director, a, a GM, several saw him. Um, he is on the mound. He throws hard. And then the delivery is not bad, actually. Sometimes these two-way guys, too, delivery is like, you know, it's just a disaster and you say it's never going to work. His problem is I know, he's really never shown a second pitch, and but he can hit. And he's 6'7". I've obviously talked about that, too. There's a lot of risk with hitters that tall. I give him a little more credit. He's younger going to pro ball. His swing is actually reasonably short. He hits it really hard, which 6'7 guys tend to do. I think there's hit and power there. It's probably going to be a you know 25% strikeout rate. But if he keeps that in check, he's got a chance to be pretty good. The other issue with, with him both ways, especially as a pitcher, is it's so hard to develop as either. And you're going to try to develop him as both. I just worry you end up making him worse at both things. I mean, this is an imperfect analogy. But imagine I told you, I need you to go learn German and Chinese at the same time, right? Like your brain's melting. Now, could you learn both of those languages? Probably. I assume you're a smart guy. You seem like a smart guy. So you probably could, given the right time and resources, but you do it one at a time. And telling Bryce Eldridge to come into pro ball and do both things when he's going to have a, a ton to work on as a pitcher and a few things to work on as a hitter, certainly, that's a pretty big ask. And I hope this is one of those, the kid really insisted on it. We'll let him do it for a year. And then after that, we'll say, all right, that's cute. You're a hitter now. Right. <clears throat> Talk to me about what you thought about the Minnesota Twins draft. They went real high school heavy um, up top. They went Walker Jenkins at number five, which there's some question whether they would do something different there. Um, Charlie Soto, uh, high school pitcher, Luke uh, mm-hmm. Keshaw, if I'm saying that right, out of Arizona State, second baseman, and then sure. Brandon Winokur, uh, mm-hmm. a high school outfielder. What did you end up taking about their, their haul? Like the first two a lot. Um, you know, Jenkins was fifth on my board, so I'm in. Um, and they didn't get cute. There were so many rumors out there, and I fully – uh, admit I may have just fallen for a, a bad from some bad gossip, but there was a lot about them not doing that for a variety of reasons. Um, but the good news is for Twins fans, especially they did. They just they took the best player. They absolutely took the best player. They had one of the other than Cruz. You know, if you if you put Cruz over Langford as as most people did, as I did, I think the Twins might have had the easiest pick in the entire draft. They picked fifth in a five man draft, and the first four were gone. Um, so good job not overthinking it. Right, right, and. Look, Charlie Soto, it's the 34th pick. You are technically out of the first round. He has maybe the best three-pitch mix of any of these high school pitchers in the draft. Just not to say he's the best, but just in terms of the quality of three offerings that's there right now. And he hasn't pitched a lot. And there were all kinds of stories like, you know, I was in Florida for a week and he didn't pitch at all because he was on some weird rotation. But that's not the worst thing either. I mean, I don't think anybody's worried that Soto was overpitched at any point. Um and so that's fine. Like he's your second pick, and at 34, what was still on the board is very different than what's on the board, say, at pick 10. Um, Winokur is not my cup of tea. It's it's huge, huge power and huge swing and miss. So not really my kind of player. Like I, I want guys who have more feel to hit at that age. But I understand what they were going for. He was not on my top 100, but I also completely understand. Like Pipeline had him 74th. I happen to have their, their, their rankings are shown on the draft tracker here. And I get it. I totally understand why you might rank that guy there, why you might take that guy there. Just not – that is a category of player that I personally 
have had a very hard time with. I think that teaching a guy like that to cut down on the swing and miss and to hit more, um, that's a really big ask for player development. Well, we're going to leave the draft talk there, uh, but I do reiterate to the listener, go read Keith's stuff. Um, Keith, tell me if I miss anything here. Uh, He's got a breakdown of each of the first round picks. He's got Mm -hmm. a report card for uh, for every team out there, uh, breaking down Mm -hmm. their their picks. You'll get a couple lines on everybody. He's got a live Q&A that's going to be going. um, That'll be done by the time you listen to this. But there's plenty of things (laughs) and your your team was covered. And so uh, and so we'll move on here. So, Keith, the futures game. Um, they have they have not listened to you yet. Uh, it is still a seven inning game, <laughs> and to make it even even better, it is uh, on Peacock now, so it's it's harder to find. Yeah, um, were you even able to watch it? <laughs> yes, I was able to, but uh, I, I'm sure everyone and their grandmother weren't uh, weren't all able to. Um, so beyond that, the difficulty that they've uh, they've turned this uh, event, uh, you know, the, the difficulty they've thrown into this event. What do you make of uh, of the futures game and and how it stacked up this year? I had a great time. Um, it was actually pretty pitching heavy for a, the rosters going in. I think we all, uh, um, you know, other writers like, you know, I saw Kylie McDaniel there. I saw Eric uh, Long and Hagen the next day. We were talking about it and, and I sat with some scouts and we sort of, we all agreed going in, we thought this was going to be pretty hitter friendly, um, maybe a high scoring game uh, because the pitching didn't look great on paper, but the pitchers very much rose to the occasion. Um, most of the guys actually came in through strikes or at least through enough strikes uh, to keep the game competitive. And yes, it was five, nothing, but that was two innings um, where, you know, somebody just had a little bit of trouble on the mound and that led to a couple of runs and that was it. Um, You know, otherwise it was a very brisk game. I think it underscored the fact that we could easily have had two more innings there. Um, If that had been a nine inning game, it still would have been over in less than two and a half hours. Nobody, likes how short the game is within the industry scouts executives etc to a to a man to a person everyone i have ever brought this up with says why is this stupid thing seven innings we want nine innings and most of them bring up the fact that it's hard to watch and it's on there were still major league games going on when yeah. they started this which is also <clears throat> lousy now i'm not sure i want it like it was two years ago where it was in the afternoon at one o'clock or whatever at Coors field and i had to run over shower because it was disgusting uh burn my clothes and then run over to the draft that's not any better yeah. um there were there were other ways to do this certainly um but i had a great time i hope folks who did watch it enjoyed what they saw you know one of the great things about this is you read folks like me and pipeline and and eric and them we're, we write about these guys but you can't really see them you know you can probably find video clips online there's nothing like watching a guy in the game um and you know, obviously for the thousands of people who showed up you you got a pretty good brisk moving game you saw some pretty cool things you saw some hard hit balls you saw a bunch of guys throw throw really hard i mean jacob mizurowski we talk about his delivery but for two pitches it's hard to beat what's coming out of his arm that's fun like i want those guys you saw victor scott a little bit i wish you'd seen him more but you know he's an 80 runner i'm all in on getting those guys into the game and then you hope that they get a chance to show off the elite skills it's such a great showcase game in the very literal sense we are showcasing our young talent and except we're we're kind of not because you can't watch it and it's only two hours so don't blink and it's over right and there's because there's no shortage of talent there there's no reason to be debating which guys should get stuck with one plate appearance right like you, you right. i don't remember who it was someone got like hit by pitch and they're only at bat right yes yeah i'm blanking on who it was but i was like are you kidding me 
<laughs> um, apparently Marcelo Mayer, I heard that maybe the Red Sox said they only wanted him to get one at bat, yeah. which to me, like, don't put him on the plane. Like, of, of course I want Marcelo Mayer there. He's top 10 prospect in baseball. Like he should be there. He made a great play in the first inning. He got a hit. And then I, you know, I don't even know if he was still in the state of Washington when the game ended. What I, what, why are we doing this? Like everyone should get two at bats. Every pitcher should get to, you know, at least on paper, get a full inning. I've suggested this for literally 15 years now. Just if you're the host team, your responsibility is to pick two basically non-prospecty pitchers or pitchers, preferably guys who throw strikes who are who will be at the ballpark and they'll be paid for their time, but they will only pitch if all hell breaks loose, right? The guy comes in and throws nine straight pitches out of the strike zone because he's overwhelmed, whatever. You have to make a change, right? That happens most years anyway. So if you're worried about running out of pitching, they've just got to cover. So what? That's easy enough to yeah. fix. Um, but this idea, like imagine I had to, you know, a player, a family member say, you know, you're you're asking these kids to fly, you know, in, in many cases across the country to get one at bat to throw five pitches. Like, is that even worth it? Like, they do it. I've never heard of a player saying they don't want to do it, but it's kind of probably feels pretty lousy. If you're the kid who comes in and gets that one at bat, and you get hit by a pitch. It's not even an at bat or you're we've had plenty of guys over the years come in and literally throw a single pitch, get an out and it's the end of their day. Yeah. It, it was um it was Dodgers catcher Dalton Rushing, who we've talked about before yes, on the show. That's right. <clears throat> Great yeah, player. Want to see? Hit? Would love to yeah. see some more at bats. Yeah, would love to see nice? some more at bats. Yeah. Are you struggling to close deals? B two B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network. You're there to look for jobs. You're there to post jobs. And how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date, first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. So the, again, once again, I'm throwing air quotes on this. The, the problem we saw with both this game and the all-star game is pitching is so good right now. And so even if you yeah. have something that's billed as this, I mean, it's like the best lineups you're going to see all year. Uh, pitching is so dominant right now. And, and uh, in one-off showings, if these guys are throwing one inning and they gas it, gas it mm-hmm. up, they get a couple more um, miles per hour there. Uh, you're you're just going to end up seeing some pretty low scoring games. So uh, anyone there that you hadn't seen live in a while that that sort of surprised you that went maybe quite a bit looking quite a bit different um, than they did uh, the last time you saw them in person. I mean, I will say Mick Abel threw a lot harder and I did see him last year. And of course, you know, it's like you said, are they just amped up for the event and throwing harder as a result? Um, maybe. Uh Carson Wisenhunt, I'd seen five days earlier or six days earlier, but he was a totally different guy. He was way better at the Futures game. Um, I saw him walk five guys in two innings 
the Sunday right before. I'd never seen Spencer Schwellenbach because he got drafted in the second round and immediately underwent Tommy John surgery. He'd never pitched um, yeah. professionally until this year. So that was a pretty fun one. Um, you know, he's interesting. I got, you know, guys I was sitting with were like, this is a little reliever-ish. And I said, I don't disagree, but he's barely pitched. So definitely let him get, I'd like to let him get some more starts under his belt mm-hmm. and see what else Atlanta can do. Cause obviously they've got a pretty good track record in that department. Um, so definitely like to see more of him. Um, had actually never seen Justin Crawford, um, knew who he was in the draft last year, obviously um, just never could fit him into my schedule and was impressed by the quality of his at bats and also his BP. Um, I only saw the NL BP cause my flight was late, but his BP was, pretty good like for a guy who has not put on a lot of his so-called man strength he was driving the ball the other way very impressively which makes me think he gets 10 or 20 pounds on him there might be more power than anybody anticipated and that was something everyone said about his dad when i was with the blue jays there was an expectation carl was going to get to more power when he got stronger um carl filled out but you necessarily get stronger so let's say justin you know hopefully fills out and it's muscle and we get to 20 plus um, 20 plus home run power when he gets to his peak. Uh, it's just a matter of time before we see Spencer Strider handing off to Spencer Schwellenbach for uh, combined no hitter <laughs> Spencer S just what, just what the, uh, the Braves needed. <laughs> so the, the kind of the star of the show in this game was Brewers right-hander Jacob Mizorowski. Um, uh, Eno Sarah said he had the first third and eighth best pitches and uh, by stuff plus in the game. You just said he had the best stuff. So you, same thing, different uh, <laughs> different words. What did you make of his his start or his, uh, his outing? Him, I'd seen him before. I'd seen him in May um, in a three-inning start. You know, he was on, he's been on pretty tight pitch counts. Um, it's the same thing. He just threw a little harder this time. He was up to 102 in the Futures game. I think he was up to 99 when I saw him in May, which is pretty good, you know, example of just guys, you know, they know they're only in for about 15, 20 pitches, so they can air it out. Um, you know, it's an elite fastball. It's an elite slider. We're debating with some of the scouts behind the plate. Is that an 80 fastball or a 70 fastball? I don't think it really matters. The fastball can miss bats. The slider is definitely going to miss bats. Um, I, I'm not on the delivery at all. Like, I do not see how that guy could possibly be a starter. I don't think he's ever going to have close to enough command and control to be able to start, even before considering like needs a probably needs a third pitch to turn a lineup over yeah. a couple of times, et cetera. It's just... Starters don't look like that. I mean, that's the easiest way I would explain it to somebody who doesn't do this for a living is just watch him. And how many guys do you see in a rotation, even if they're only throwing 80 pitches at a time, throw like that? Um, nobody. I mean, I think the answer is pretty much nobody. Nobody who's ever held up, certainly, or had success. But, you know, could he be a right-handed Josh Hader type for the Brewers? Yeah. Actually, I think that's very much within yeah. reach. It would be a great outcome for them. Um because I know that the the TrackMan data on his stuff has always been elite. Like it is nuts how much life he gets on the fastball, how sharp the break is on the slider. It it kind of all checks out. I mean, the ultimate test is do hitters hit it? And the answer is no. And occasionally when they hit it, they generally don't hit it very well. Um, and I think that's going to continue as he moves up the ladder. I will be curious to see because developmentally, you know, it often makes sense to let a guy like that start just so he can continue to work on repeating the delivery if you want him to develop another pitch. But at some point, they may just look at him and say, we know you're a reliever. Yeah, We could probably use you in the big leagues, <laughs> right? That could happen pretty soon. Yeah, the path is just going to be quicker. If you got a guy mm-hmm. coming out of the, of the bullpen, you see the full 
the full uh, display of what he has uh, in those one mm-hmm. inning stints, and like we just saw in this outing. And yeah, if a guy's throwing one, you know, sitting hundred with a little bit of one hundred two in there, that mm-hmm. guy can be an impactful reliever. And that's a team that um, has has been known for having a good bullpen in, in recent years, and uh, it's desperate to have some some hitting help. And, and they had uh, Jackson Churio uh, in that game as well. What did you make of, of seeing Jackson? Yeah, I wish he'd had a hit, um, but not a lot of guys had hits. Nobody had two, so. I also, you know, I'm, I'm not going to hold that against anybody, but hopefully if you saw the game too, um, you could see the crazy bat speed. It's the hand speed too, that he can let the ball travel on him and gets that bat started so quickly with such force that he's going to continue, I think, to be able to make a lot of adjustments to pick up pitch types and adjust to them Um even as the pitching continues to get better, he's 19 in double A. I believe he's, he is, or was now Jackson holidays in double A also. I think Cheerio's even younger than holiday. I think they're the only two 19 year olds in double A and Cheerio has been there all year. And he's not had a great season on the surface until you consider his age relative to his level. Uh, he's super athletic. I don't even think he's begun to fill out. He can really run. He can really play center. The upside there is really exciting. And I think we've got kind of a fun debate. You know, last winter, it was Corbin Carroll or Gunnar Henderson, who you got. And there wasn't a wrong answer. They were both great prospects. I kind of feel a little bit like that with these two, where Holiday's obviously had much better performance. He plays shortstop. He was the first pick in the draft. That doesn't make him a better prospect, but it sort of uh, weights our opinions of him. Um, him versus Churio, who's probably a little bit more long-term potential but I think offers more upside also plays up the middle, but center's not as valuable as shortstop. What, what do you like? They're both great prospects. I go back and forth. Yeah. After that game, I was probably, if you'd asked me walking out of there, which took forever because nobody could figure out how to get out of the stadium. Um, I probably would have said holiday and now I'm kind of leaning back the other way. And I, and I don't know, like I said, I don't think there's a wrong answer. I think they're both great prospects. They are the top two in the minors. However, you stack them up. Fans will never understand how much trouble sports writers have getting out of stadiums. It gets difficult, okay, <laughs> after the gates close. Um, Jackson Churio is a wow, he is a March 20, uh, 2000, 2004 birthday. Jackson Holiday is a that? December 2003 birthday. So we're talking 03s and 04s. This is frightening and also a good reminder that as when we were having um, our boys, we just threw the name Jackson out the window. We said everyone's a Jackson. There's Ever. too many Jacksons. Too many Jacksons. So with my with my daughter, who's now a teenager, it was too many Aidens. And then yeah. looking at the draft this year, right? We had at least one Aiden in the first round. I think first there were a couple there. of others. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Well, she wasn't a boy anyway, so that took it out. But also, it was like, nope, can't do that. We weren't going to do Aiden, and we weren't going to do any version of Emma, Emily, Emmeline, <laughs> any of those. Because it was like, there's way too many of these running around. <laughs> all right, well, that's going to do it for us. Uh, time for us to go. Thank you for, for listening. You can find our work all week long at theathletic.com. Please, please, please read Keith's work. Uh, read the live Q&A. A lot of interesting stuff that's going to be there. Subscribe to The Athletic for $1 per month for the first year at theathletic.com slash baseball show during our summer sale. Give uh, us a follow on Twitter. Keith is at Keith Law, and I'm at Stephen J. Nesbitt. Give Keith a follow on all the other socials as well. Uh, the Athletic Baseball Show will be back on Monday. Have a great weekend. <laughs>